Hi, and welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. All right, big night, Shani. Yeah. You were having people over to your place. Yeah, about eight people. Will canceled on me. Yeah. We won't say the reason in case Will's sister listens to this podcast. <laughs> well, she'll never figure it out now. <laughs> so what are you What are you making? Um, so I'm going to make, I made a chicken curry last night because it always tastes better the next day. Um, I'm going to make some tempered potatoes, some stir-fried green beans. Now, tempered potatoes, actually, in Singhala, <laughs> is temperado. <laughs> uh, close enough. If we have any Singhala people listening to this, um, I apologize. But uh, okay. Well, anyway. So, what else? Green <laughs> yeah, beans. Yeah, so, like, stir-fried green beans. I thought um, you couldn't find green beans. Well, that's my mission after this podcast. I have to go and find it. Okay. Um, and some, what else am I? I'm making some dal. Nice. Which, I'm a big um, fan. Yeah. So if you've listened to the podcast before and you've listened to our ads, Ben does those ads. Ben's coming over and his favorite food is dal. So going to make a huge batch of that. Um, and like a tomato sambal. Um, and my mum very nicely brought over some date and lime chutney from Sri Lanka. So I'll serve that as well. All right. Well, there we go. It'll be an exciting night. Yeah. And Mark, you're making a shiny cocktail. I am making a shiny cocktail. Do you want to tell me about it? Because uh, I don't know what it is. You suggested that there were going to be curry leaves in it. And I said... You called me racist. <laughs> no, I just said, I said, is that the thing that personifies me that I'm Sri Lankan? No, it is part of you. Like you're yeah. talking through <laughs> Sri Lankan food that you're going to make yeah. tonight. So. Well, I, I want a cocktail that encompasses or just it's my personality, you know? Okay. Well, I'll see what I can come up with. All right. Uh, also, Are you going to give me a clue? No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> also, in other news, we've been advertising on TikTok <laughs> with Morningstar Investor. <laughs> and yesterday, somebody made a very rude comment about me on the ad. Well, it was a great it was a great ad because it was an excerpt from one of Mark's webinars where um, he was talking about, I think, DCA. And um, this person commented that it was like, Kermit the Frog giving financial advice. <laughs> yes. Anyway, let's start this episode. Um, These are your hosts, Shawnee and Kermit. Okay. So today we're doing our second half yearly portfolio checkup. It's been a year and a half since we did our portfolio construction episode and we did our yearly check-in in January updating you on our progress. And we do receive feedback from a lot of listeners and investors that they really enjoy these episodes because- you know, I think we work in an industry that is pretty opaque, and these episodes add a bit of transparency and show that we actually practice what we preach and use the processes that we talk about in this podcast. And I think there's also an opportunity for us to reflect and see that we're actively monitoring and maintaining our portfolio, keeping a long-term view, but also ensuring that we're doing what we need to reach our goals. So, Mark, should we talk a bit about what's happened since January? Because there's obviously been a lot going on. Yeah. Well, the first thing that's happened is my self-esteem has dropped a lot since we started advertising <laughs> on TikTok with videos of me, but also a lot has gone on in markets. And we're not going to go into too much detail with a market update because we've done quite a few of those in recent podcasts, but it is safe to say that investors have had to deal with a lot of volatility, uncertain market conditions with inflation and increasing interest rates, federal election here in Australia. So, you know, investors have been looking for guidance. And this is why we emphasize the importance of this process and having a plan 
gives you a foundation and a goal to focus on and grounds you to it, regardless of what's happening in the market and the world. Exactly right, Mark. It doesn't stop investors from getting nervous, but it can definitely help you rise above the market noise. And it was a pretty noisy market up to the 11th of July. We've seen the ASX 200 drop 11% year to date, the S&P 500 almost 18%, 25% for the NASDAQ 100, and over 27% for the MISCI Global Index. So it's been pretty brutal. Yeah, yeah. And I can tell already, right, that this review is going to be a bit different from the ones we've done in the past, because the last two reviews we've had, of course, portfolio gains, and that has helped keep our required rates of return pretty steady, and in some cases, actually had them reduce. So before we get into our goals and what we did with our portfolios, we need to acknowledge that there are increasing fears that central bank actions will push the economy into recession. And while employment numbers are still really strong in Australia and most of the rest of the world, this is a good reminder that the first check you should do is your emergency fund. That's right, Mark. An emergency fund is there to protect us and protect our portfolio if there are unexpected expenses or if you lose your job. The last thing you want to do is be forced to sell off assets in your portfolio at a bad time. And now, of course, would qualify as a bad time given the losses that we've seen. And many people are facing higher expenses right now. Rents are increasing and mortgage rates are going up with these higher interest rates. And we've seen increases in things like electricity and food, which, you know, are obviously the basic necessities of life. So while making sure that your emergency fund is topped up, it might also be a good idea to make sure that your assessment of three to six months living expenses still reflects the actual costs in this inflationary environment. All right, so let's get to us, Shawnee. So why don't we start with a quick recap of you? Okay, so let's revisit the goal uh, that we shared for the portfolio construction episode, and we can go from there. So. In our first episode, we went through the portfolio construction process, which was four steps. I defined my goal, and in that case, it was for my retirement. I wanted $1.5 million in today's dollars, $3.4 million as a value when I retire. I was starting with $50,000. I'm contributing $15,000 a year after the 15% contribution tax in super, and I have 38 years to get there, so retiring when I'm 65. And to get to where I want to be, my required rate of return with all of those variables was 6.9%. Do you think everyone's doing the math now to yeah. try to figure out how old you are? Um, but anyway, what about the last review that we did, the one we did in January? Yeah. So in our last review, I was at 72000 with a heavy lifting mainly from my contributions, um, and my required rate of return was 7%. But there were a few changes. I did receive a promotion, so I increased how much I was going to contribute. I also changed super funds because my fund was violating one of the core tenants of my IPS, um, which is my investment policy statement. And I wanted to ensure that I had low fees. I know how detrimental fees can be, especially over a four or so decade long time horizon. And I was paying more in fees in my fund. So I ended up switching to a cheaper fund. Yeah. And that promotion meant that you could increase what you expected in your retirement because you were able to contribute more alongside your employer contributions. So your goal actually changed in that episode back in January from $3.4 million to $3.6 million. And your required rate of return was 6.9%. And you were going to contribute $17,500 after that 15% contributions tax. So that's a good recap. Let's figure out where you are now. All right. So my balance was $72,000 at the beginning of the year at our yearly check-in. And my balance is now $73,789. Okay. So $1,800 more. Yeah. It was, um, this half of the year wasn't very pretty, but... Uh, look, I'm not phased. I know that there will be volatility in the markets and I'm at a stage in my life where I have a long way till retirement and I just need to focus on my contributions. 
Yeah. So where are you? Why don't we check in with that? So where are you with your contribution? So you were supposed to contribute $8,750 for this half of the year after tax. So I wasn't on track with my contributions. Um, I contributed $9,243, which after tax is $7,857. And so that was not quite there. Uh, I fell short by about $900. And this is the whole point of the review. It means I can adjust and increase in the second half of the year. And um, there was a valid reason why this has happened. I had a hex debt and salary sacrificing meant I was getting a pretty hefty tax bill. Um, I still did salary sacrifice, uh, but I can bolster that up now without being penalized for it. And the other side of this is that I do receive my bonus in the first half of the year. And I decided to put half of my bonus into an employee share plan. So I released, I received less in cash than I was expecting and therefore less in my super contributions. Okay. But the exciting thing is you're done with Hex. I'm done with Hex. God, I can breathe a sigh of relief. It is very exciting. Um, it means that my contributions have obviously lifted um, and I'm able to salary sacrifice without that tax burden. So I've um, increased my salary sacrifice amount by about 30%. Okay. Are there other factors to take into account? Yeah, for sure. So I've had a slight increase in my employer contributions due to the mandated employer contribution increasing to 10.5% as most of us have. So that eases my salary sacrifice burden a little too. Okay. So we want to focus on goals mm-hmm. and the return you need to get there. So where are you right now with your required rate of return? I am up to 7%. Okay. And like last time, is that's a slight increase. 0.1%. Is, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Quick Miss, math. Miss yeah. precision here. <laughs> um, but yeah, is that enough of an uptick to change anything around your asset allocation or anything else? Yeah, no, it isn't. And I'm definitely keeping an eye on my contributions. I do need to make sure that I meet my goals for additional investments. Um, because that's the best way I can have control of my retirement goals and outcomes at this stage of my life. Okay. So let's dig into one other thing that you said. So you mentioned that you took half your bonus in company shares. So why don't you walk listeners through that decision and your thought process? Yeah. So as you know, Mark, I have the advantage of taking your bonus in shares at Morningstar is that you get a 50% bonus. Uh, So if your bonus amount allows you to purchase 10 shares, you'll get 15 shares. Um, So it's a pretty good deal. Okay. So this might be a little bit of a niche example, but how do you feel about owning shares in the company that you work for and any considerations that you or I guess other people should have about that? Yeah. So I I don't think it's as common to get paid in shares in Australia uh, as much as it is in the US, but I do think that this lesson applies to a lot of different people. Um, When you look at your overall financial situation, it's pretty important to take a holistic view. We're obviously huge advocates of that. The risk of owning Morningstar shares is that I work there. So if things go poorly for the company, it would impact my bonus and any raises I get. I may impact my employment as well. (laughs) Hopefully not. Um, At the same time, in that situation, when Morningstar was doing poorly, it would likely cause the share price to drop. So everyone should understand the overlap of the drivers of their compensation, their employment and their investments. And I always make sure that Morningstar shares do not make too much of my portfolio. Even if you don't own company shares, there could be an overlap between the industry you operate in and the investments that you hold. So just a reminder to look at things holistically. And then there's obviously considerations just on an investment level, right, with those shares. Yeah, of course. So uh, I've spoken a little bit about this before, but it obviously increases my exposure drastically to the US dollar. And I have to be cognizant of the fact uh, that it could be a significant determinant in my total return outcomes. When and if I decide to sell out of my Morningstar shares. So something else to consider is that I don't actually pay tax on my investments until they vest. 
Um, so this makes all sorts of things complicated, but mainly I usually end up with a pretty hefty tax bill. Um, so I've never actually received a tax return since I started working. So it's, you know, I've just received pain, uh, but we're getting into the weeds a, a little bit here. But this combined with HEX has meant that every year I've ended up with a tax bill. And part of that problem is gone now, but I still have to account for the vesting shares for each financial year. And I do that by increasing my tax withheld each pay voluntarily. And what that does is it helps soften the blow when I file my taxes. And I want to do this because it helps with cash flow management and evens out any large lump sums I owe. And it means I'm able to commit to regular investments and minimum investments um, with my actual investments, even with those lumpy bonuses and tax bills that I have. Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks. And stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager, integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSight. Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. Okay, well... Thank you for all that detail. Um, this process may seem quite repetitive. So a lot of these steps we've repeated in our yearly check-in, but that's the whole point of the exercise. So you want to make sure that you have some structure to your reviews, sure that your situation hasn't changed, and if it has, adjust accordingly. If your rate of return has changed, you need to make a decision as to whether it justifies an adjustment or whether you just have to potentially adjust your goals. That could be the years until your goal, the amount you're contributing, et cetera. And that determination will depend on the amount by which that required rate of return has changed, how much longer you have left to reach your goal, and whether you have the capacity to contribute more to it. And remember, you're doing this twice a year, so it isn't that time-consuming in the grand scheme of things. All right, Mark. As promised, it's time to move on to your portfolio and your check-in. So let's speak a little bit about your goals and get a refresher. Okay. Well, the goal that I have that we talk about during this review is to retire at 60. So any minute now. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. So how has the first half of the year gone? Okay. Well, obviously, as we've talked about, it's been a challenging investing environment. Now, I might have been compared to a green frog but there was no green <laughs> in my portfolio for these six months. So if we look at my total retirement accounts, I had a return of negative 9%. And while that's obviously a negative return, it compares to a negative 13.5% return on the ASX and a negative 21% on the S&P 500. So all in all, it's pretty favorable. Yeah. And it is important to provide some context here. So my goal is not to beat the market. And I have underperformed the market in the crazy years since the COVID crash. I've also been quite vocal that I've been building up cash over the last couple of years. So on January 1st, I was around 19.5% cash. So obviously that cash has propped up my portfolio value in a falling market. You remove the effect of the cash, the actual securities in my portfolio fell 12.7%. 
The other thing to note is that most of this portfolio is in U.S. shares, and the U.S. dollar has been really, really strong over the past six months. So if we look at my returns in Aussie dollars, I am down a total of 3.41%. So not that much. Well, that is still a pretty it's still pretty good given the market environment. Um, but what else would you attribute your relative outperformance? Other than just like general brilliance. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So obviously I'm kidding about that. But this is when we need to talk about the different styles of investing. And we've said this a bunch on here. There are many ways to be a successful investor, but there's really only one way that works for each of us. And the key is to find that way. And I've explained the way I invest and what makes me comfortable. And in short, I'm interested in investing in companies that have lower uncertainty around business outcomes. And as a reminder, not all businesses are the same. Some businesses have a lower range of possible outcomes. These are normally larger companies with wider geographic operations and more product lines. They're more financially secure and have less cyclicality due to the line of business they're in. And with these lower ranges of outcomes, these shares are generally less volatile. While there is less of a chance of these companies going through the roof, there is also less of a chance of them going bankrupt. And these, these are the companies that I like because I'm just more comfortable with them. For example, I don't invest in companies that don't pay a dividend. I tend to gravitate towards companies with less cyclicality and larger cap or bigger companies. So now we have another clue around performance. Given the low interest rate environment and the speculative excess that took over in the market, we saw a bunch of companies without earnings doing very well in the time since the COVID market crash. And then all of a sudden, during the last quarter of 2021, we saw this change. And these companies started to massively underperform. Exactly, Shani. So this is just a case that different portfolios are going to perform differently in different environments. So mine's going to perform better in environments like this when the market is dropping or in an environment when there's more of a focus on fundamentals. It is not going to perform well in a very speculative environment. So my hope is that over the long term, it's going to get me where I want to go. And that, of course, is to achieve my goals. And I think there's a really important lesson here. Self-awareness about the makeup of your portfolio is really important. Because understanding your portfolio means that when there's volatility, you understand what's happening and why. So if someone was looking to build a less volatile portfolio with companies with less business risk, what would they do, Mark? Yeah. Well, for starters, we need to preface this by saying that in bull markets, especially really, really frothy bull markets, these types of portfolios may underperform. So obviously, one way is to analyze companies and understand their business. So our analysts at Morningstar do that and come up with an uncertainty rating. But other things you can do to reduce volatility and business risk is by looking for certain characteristics. And that can include dividend paying shares, lower beta shares, large cap or large companies, and companies that are in certain non-cyclical sectors, including consumer defensive, healthcare, and utilities. And this makes sense. Companies that pay dividends are generally profitable, generating healthy cash flows and are in good financial shape. Larger companies are more mature, have more product lines, and operate in wider geographic areas. Non-cyclical companies are less likely to be impacted by recessions, which may accompany a bear market. And one important thing to remember is that we are looking at things on a portfolio level. So diversification is important to take away company-specific risk, because issues with an individual company can, of course, make it very volatile. All right. So what does this portfolio look like on an aggregate basis? Well, the first thing is to look at an appropriate benchmark to compare the portfolio to. And for me, that's the S&P 500, since mine is mostly U.S. shares. So my Aussie holdings are just in a different portfolio. So when I use a Morningstar Investor X-ray, a couple things jump out. 
67% of the portfolio is in large cap shares, 29% is mid cap, and only 4% in small cap. There's also 54% of the portfolio in those defensive sectors I mentioned, so consumer defensive, healthcare, and utilities. And that 54% compares to 25% in the benchmark. And then finally, when we look at dividend yield, my portfolio is yielding around 3.15%, which is pretty good considering it is 23% cash. And that compares to an S&P 500 yield of 1.68%. All right. So what's the takeaway here for other investors? Well, I think the big thing is to find an approach to investing that you are comfortable with. The approach I'm taking is not for everyone or even for anyone other than me but also understand the consequences of the choices you are making. So when you do look at your performance, you are doing it with appropriate context. The last few years, I've underperformed. That is both because of the tactical asset allocation decision that I made to build up cash, but also because the securities I'm comfortable owning were not in favor at the tail end of a speculative bubble. The worst possible thing that I could have done was to naively react to underperformance by investing all my cash at valuation levels I was uncomfortable with, or in types of companies or securities that I was uncomfortable with. And I've been taking this market drop in stride, but it is unlikely I would have done that if I owned a bunch of things I didn't have faith in. The last thing I would say is that it's important to keep focused on your goal and look at performance in relation to achieving your goal and not just comparing it to some arbitrary number like the performance of a benchmark. And that's a great place to end. So when we did this back in January, you needed a 6.3% return between that time and when you're 60. So where do you stand now? Well, as we've said again and again, the focus needs to be on the return needed to achieve your goal. So in this case, even though my portfolio has significantly outperformed the market, my return, of course, was still negative. And a negative return is, of course, lower than that 6.3% that I needed. So clearly that number went up. So I now need a 6.7% return in order to achieve my goal of retiring at 60. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm feeling pretty good about it. So first off, I think that 6.7% is very achievable over the long term. I especially think it's achievable if I can invest that nearly 22.5% of my portfolio that is now sitting in cash, and if I can do that at a reasonable valuation level. At that point, I would also turn back on the dividend reinvestment in my portfolio, which will give me the extra compounding boost. And remember, I don't need to catch the market at the bottom here. That is very hard to do. I just need to invest at a valuation level where I'm comfortable and where I feel like future returns will meet or exceed my required rate of return. And this is a really good time to remind people that the lower valuation level, the higher expected future returns will be. And we can't stress that enough. The market falling actually makes it safer for future investments. I think about that when I keep dollar cost averaging into a falling market. Each drop that occurs means that my next paycheck will get me more shares with higher expected returns. That's right, Chani. And I hope at some point I'm be ready to buy. So I have a strategic or long-term asset allocation of 10%. But I think if the market gets to a level I'm comfortable with, I would certainly go well below that. And I'm hoping that we'll get to that point soon. All right. So this wraps up our portfolio review that we do every six months. We're trying to be transparent here about what we're doing and hope that going through this exercise uncovers a couple of things for you to consider when looking at your own portfolio. Remember, this process doesn't need to be hours and hours of your time. Take a look at anything that changed in your life, do a quick check of your emergency fund, and then see how your portfolio did. 
Make sure that any look at overall performance is done within the context of what's in your portfolio. Using a tool like Portfolio X-Ray is an easy way to see how your portfolio is put together. Just make sure you understand what you are invested in and the implications of those choices. Finally, keep focused on your goal and your required rate of return. For most people, it has probably gone up over the last six months, and this isn't something to panic about because it is going to happen from time to time. Just remember the other levers that you can pull, getting more aggressive with your asset allocation or saving more. Yeah, and as always, stay focused on the long term and on making thoughtful decisions. All right, so we made it through. We did. Now you can start baking those potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, thank you guys very much for joining. Couple things. Number one, in the show notes is a link to sign up to the wait list of our conference. And we can't talk about who the speakers are just yet, but Shani and I actually had a great meeting yesterday with the head of manager research. And I think we're going to have an awesome lineup mm-hmm. that Shani's put together. So get on that wait list. That wait list will give you access to the cheapest tickets to the conference. You can come meet us. We're going to do something cool at the end of it for the podcast. But, uh, but yeah, we'd love any comments you have. My email address is in the show notes. You can email me. And yeah, share Investing Compass with your friends. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.